Good morning, West Liberty. It's April 26th, and we are still not able to get together uh, to worship together. And we're hearing rumor uh, that we might be able to start doing so, that the state may be opening back up. But we're still not sure how that's going to look for the church about large gatherings of people. So we'll let you know as soon as we have a plan and we can do so safely. So keep that in mind. We also want to thank everybody for sending their tithes and offerings. We're able to uh, maintain what we need to do around here, and it's just been great. Uh, Russell even texted me and asked me to say this, and I had it in my notes, but we want to say thank you uh, from the bottom of our hearts uh, for what you're doing, supporting the church uh, through this time. Also, as we continue on, uh, our mortgage for the church is down to $3,677. Folks, that's awesome. Uh, we're going to be able to pay this mortgage off uh, here this year, hopefully by the end of summer. So once we get back together, we're going to be able to have a huge celebration. A lot of this has been due to the two memorials from the Fred Paxton family and the Linda Reed family uh, on their passing. Uh, their memorials went to the church and we used it to pay down the debt. So we're down to less than $4,000 and that's we're going to celebrate that. One other thing before we get started this morning is we want to say congratulations to Jim and Laura Spicer as they are expecting a new baby, I think, sometime this fall. Uh, this is not on Facebook, but they did give me permission uh, to say this this morning, to share with you, their church family, and to celebrate with them. So this fall, as we get back together, and we're going to be able to do all these things, we're going to celebrate, one, worshiping together again. We're going to be able to celebrate the mortgage burning. We're also going to celebrate two new babies coming into the church. So it looks like it's going to be a great fall once we do get back together. If you have your Bibles, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11 is where we want to be this morning. We want to continue looking about this unity being unified, even though we're separated for this time. And God is still in control. Uh, God still knows everything that's going on. And we just want to make sure we can find that peace that surpasses all understanding, not because of what's happening around us, but because of who God is and the example that he gives to us. So let's read this morning, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Paul says this. He says, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, Consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, even in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul wants us to see and Paul wants us to understand that to be unified takes some work for us. And Paul is saying here that Christians need to be of one mind and one love. But too often, Paul, I think, is also telling us 
is we're so focused on ourselves a lot of times that we can't reach that goal. That goal is a lofty goal. It's a standard that's set high. So how do we handle this change of our self-centered way of thinking? Paul gives us some ideas. Someone also said this, if the shoe doesn't fit, don't wear it. This person went on to say, what works in Tennessee may not work in New York City. What works for one person may not work for another person. You see, what it's saying is we all have differences in some way. As we said last week, we have differences in sports and politics. Even in religion, we have differences. I would even say we have differences in the sizes of churches we attend. Those who attend bigger churches don't want to go to smaller churches. They say we're friendly and such, but it's just not their thing. But it also goes to those in smaller churches that don't want to go to bigger churches because we won't know everybody. I love both. I love the large church. I like attending large church every once in a while when I get a chance. But I also like small church because I think we all can do what God has asked us to do. You see, we realize there's differences. And many of those differences are by the choices we make. Those differences are the decisions that we make that we're going to have in our lives or those things around us. You see, even now, we're seeing in the world because of the coronavirus, people are starting to go a little bit stir crazy. People are starting to protest in their states because they want their state to open back up. They want the economy to be doing what they want it to do. They're demanding the government to reopen. But then on the other side, you have some of those people saying, no, it's too early. We can't open yet. Other people will get sick. So you have both sides of the story. You have differences of opinions. There is a disconnect that I see between people and the government. Between what one group says and what another group says. And we believe that there is something going on. We believe this virus is contagious. We believe this virus can hurt and kill people. But we also, in the back of our minds, are wondering, are we being told the whole truth? You know, what are they trying to hide? Because you hear this one side say this, and it's this bad. Then you hear another group say, well, it's not as bad. It's not as bad as what we're hearing. So who do we believe? You know, so we have to make that decision. And there's that disconnect. I think Paul is telling us in this text in Philippians 2, that as good as the church is at Philippi, there's still a little bit of a disconnect. There's something that's missing that they're just not getting or they're not doing well. And he wants us to understand that with all this going on, there seems to be an issue in the church of unity. Of being unified in what they're doing or where they're going. And maybe along with this unity, maybe with the humility that it takes to be unified. So Paul wants us to understand this. We need to understand, I truly believe, or maybe even be reminded that following Jesus means following him as a servant who humbles himself, who takes on that form of a servant and what it takes to be unified. We need to understand him. And if we don't understand his servanthood and how humble he was, we may never understand who he really is. Paul brings out six things in these 11 verses. He brings out the blessings and the benefits that we have for being in Jesus. In verse 2, he brings us to a call of unity. In the first part of verse 3, there's a warning that we're going to look at about selfishness. And then the last part of verse 3 and verse 4, there's a call to humility and a selfless love. 
And then verses 5 through 8, the ultimate example of selfless humility that Jesus displayed. And then the last part, verses 9 through 11, how God praised Jesus and put him in the highest of place. What a great story. So as we get started, there's a story about a city man or city boy who had never been to a farm. And he got to the farm and he asked the farmer, Mister, why doesn't this cow have horns? The farmer kind of cocked his head for a moment, then began in a patient tone. He says, well, cattle can do a powerful lot of damage with their horns. Sometimes we keep them trimmed down with a hacksaw. Other times we can fix them up, the youngins, by putting a couple drops of acid where the horns would grow in. Still, he says, there are still other breeds of cattle that never do grow horns. But the reason this cow doesn't have any horns is because it's a horse. Now you would think even a kid from the city would know the difference between a cow and a horse. But then when you think about it, most Christians would know the difference between true Christianity and what a lot of Christians think Christianity is. There's a difference. Today, Paul is telling the Philippian church what Christianity should look like. He's telling us what we as Christians should be acting like. He's kind of describing, but it doesn't come naturally to us. And we need to understand this. In fact, there are many churches across the land who still don't know, they don't understand what true Christianity is all about. They may have great doctrine. They may have beautiful buildings. They may have dynamic preachers. But they couldn't tell a horse from a cow when it comes to Christianity. So let's just jump in. Verse 2 of Philippians 2. And let's see what Paul says. Paul says, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. I mean, just take a moment and underline that word like-minded. Underline that word same love. Underline those words one in spirit and one in purpose. Because he says, make his joy complete by being like this. So did you catch the emphasis of those words? In other words, Paul is saying everyone agrees. And that's what Christianity should look like. You see, when Christians live together like that, there's a powerful atmosphere of joy, excitement, and unity that comes with it. But too often, Christians don't look like that. We too often look like the world in which we live, protesting those things we don't like or we want to change. There's a story of a church, and I don't know if it's a true story, but it's, it's, it's kind of funny, of a church who argued over what color shingles to put on the church. It is said half wanted red shingles, the other half wanted green shingles. So when they finally came down to the conclusion, they did half of each. Half the church was done in red shingles, the other half was done in green shingles. And then when it was all said and done, when everybody came back into the church, those who wanted red shingles, they sat under those shingles. Those who wanted green shingles sat under the green shingles. Seems far-fetched, but it's a lot of the way churches are today. There's another story, and a more serious story, but it's a true story that in Dallas, Texas, a church was having trouble, and there was a split in the church. Lawsuits were filed on who determined who owned the property. The judge who was hearing the case referred it back to the denomination, and during the hearing, the church courts discovered that the conflict began years prior at a dinner when one of the older elders 
was served a smaller piece of ham than the young kid sitting next to him. A church split, trying to decide who owns the property over the size of the piece of ham. You see, Christians sometimes just don't behave like Christians. Sometimes Christians don't look like Christians. Sometimes Christians don't do what God has called us to do. But God knew this. God understood this. God knew and understood the world in which we were living. He knew that people would have a hard time living up to this standard that God has given to us. He knew that we'd have difficulty of being of one mind and one love. And there's a reason for that. And again, God understood it. And Paul says in Romans 3.23, the reason is we all have sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. You see, every Christian in the church has come out of this sinful mindset the world has. And there are times we have had a hard time leaving it. And there are times where it comes back to us. But we have to understand that Paul wants us unified. That he wants us to be the church God has called us to be. He wants us to be the church that Jesus started. And that's why Paul wrote this stuff in Philippians. If we understand what Paul is telling us here, if we decide to take the prescription that's set forth in this passage, then we will be of one mind and one love. And then we will look like Christians. So what's the answer? Well, in verse 3 through 5, Paul gives us this warning. Practice in verse 3 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. In other words, it's selfishness. It's called self-ambition. It's called conceit. It's called wanting to get my own way. It's not doing what other people need. It's what I want because I want it. And there's not going to be any, any discussion. We're not going to talk about it. We're not going to do anything about it because I'm getting what I want. You see, it's looking for our own interest first. And a lot of times that leads to the problem in the church because we're looking at our own interest. We're not looking at the interest of others. And that's where we have the problem. You see, that's how a horse ends up looking like a cow in the church. We call them sacred cows because we don't care what anybody else thinks. We don't care what anybody else wants, but we have what we want. But now let's read our passage, verses 3 through 5. Remember, Paul said, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but, he says, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. He says, let each of you look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. I mean, note the highlighted phrases again. I had you highlight some words in the beginning but underline in humility, underline others more significant than yourselves, underline the interest of others. You see, it's those things can make us look like Christians. It's those things when we take them to heart and we apply them to our lives and to everything that we do that makes a difference in what the world sees through us. Now also notice what Paul is saying here. Don't miss the fact that Paul is saying it's okay to look out for your interest. He says we actually need to. I mean, I'm going to social distance myself to the best of my ability. I'm not going to gather in large groups. 
because I want to visit my granddaughters and I would hate to pass this on to anybody else. If I would contact it being in a large group, then have to go to somebody's house to have to do something and pass it on. I would hate that. But if you want to get out in large groups and people do, you have that right. But what these people don't have a right to do is tell me that I have to do that. You see, it's their opinion, not mine. I mean, if you have to supply for your family, I mean, you have to pay your bills, you have to take care of your homes, you have to take care of your body, I understand that. But what happens all too often to us and to our churches is that we tend to focus on ourselves. We become so introverted that we forget that the world needs us. So when we look at ourselves and our own interest, other people, other things become a distant second, if at all. I remember the story about Special Olympics. I actually watched the video recently of when these track and field runners got ready to run that 100-yard dash. These Special Olympians lined up. They got ready. They got set. The gun went off, and they all took off running. Not even halfway, one of the runners fell. And as all of them figured out one fell, they all stopped running, all went back, helped the one that fell up, and they finished the finish line together. That's being unified. That's being of one mind and one spirit. I also remember a couple years ago when Kenny and Russell and I were officiating uh, some Special Olympics basketball. We went over to Indianapolis and we did it a couple weekends. And what stands out the most about anything was their attitude in playing the game. Yeah, some got a little bit frustrated, but what I saw more of is when one young person was trying to make a basket and they'd miss, another one would give the ball back to him on the other team. Two or three, four times until he finally made a basket. Then they all celebrated. They all congratulated each other. And it was so fun to watch. Again, one mind, one spirit. But Paul didn't stop there. Paul wants us to even understand a little bit more. Look at verses 5 through 8. This is what he writes next. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was not in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death. On the cross. A couple things we see here through this text. One of the things we see is Paul is telling us we need to copy Jesus. We need to be like Jesus. We need to do what Jesus did. And we need to understand, I think Paul wants us to understand this, the more that we all become like Jesus, the more we'll all have that same mindset and that same love. You see, most of the time, when there is conflict between people, it's because one person wants what they want and the other person wants what they want. And then conflict happens. But once you put Jesus in that mix and we begin to copy him, it's then we can begin to decide that what we want is what he wants and is what's best for the whole thing. We put Jesus in the mix. You see, when Jesus is in the middle or the foundation. We will see that as we start to get closer to him, we will get closer to one another. It's a pretty easy thing to do. Once we get closer to Jesus in our relationship, we become closer as brothers and sisters. 
The second thing that's in this part that I want you to see is found in verses six through eight. We've read it. It says, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count the equality with God. He did not play on that fact. So what Paul is trying to tell us here is this. He's trying to tell us that it's all about who's in charge of our life, of our homes, and of our churches. But we see it in our churches, and especially we see it in our world now. You see, it's called a power struggle. A struggle over my right to have my way. And we have to be able to separate ourselves. You see, we are called to be different. So we have to be different from the world. I mean, when you look at the protests now and we add this Jesus thing, we realize it gets in the way. When Jesus is added to the mix, things change. It says Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. You see, it's in my opinion, and this is just my opinion. Instead of fighting for my rights to go to that restaurant, to get my hair cut, you know, the things I want, because don't forget, it's all about me. It's what I want, and I want it now. But instead, since we can't be in large groups, since we can't do a lot of things we're used to doing, how about we look around and see how we can serve other people? How about we go out of our way to do someone else a favor? Even if it means we don't get done what we wanted to. I did it this last week because I knew I was preaching on this and I thought, well, if I'm going to preach on it, I'm going to do it. So I did. I did some a favor for somebody else, never asked. They don't even know who did it. And that's what it's important. But maybe we do those things instead of demanding our own way. But this text tells us now Jesus was God, but he didn't use his Godhead as an excuse to be superior, though he was. But the scripture says, instead, he emptied himself. It says he became a servant. He humbled himself. Jesus surrendered his rights. And now he expects us to learn how to do the same. I mean, Jesus was a servant. I mean, what rights does a servant have? Absolutely none. And that's exactly what Jesus's attitude was. So what does this mean? It means for us that if I follow Jesus' example, it means I will empty myself, I will empty myself of my rights. And my major focus will be on helping others get through this life. Somebody said this, I'll focus on making you successful. I'll try to help you meet your dreams and goals at church because that's what Jesus did. I mean, Paul says, Jesus took the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men, he, and being found in human form, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So as I close, let me ask you this. Why did Jesus die? Why did he humble himself unto death? Well, he did it to remove our sin, our guilt, and our shame. You see, Jesus died for us, and now he expects us to die to ourself, to be more like him, to reach out to the interest of others first and do what we need to do to make him successful. You see, the more people see Jesus through us means the more we have that closer relationship with him. 
Folks, take care. God bless. Have a great week.